0: Hello and welcome to Writing the Coast. I'm your host, Megan Cole, and Writing the Coast is the official podcast of the BC and Yukon Book Prizes. This is your destination for interviews with the finalists and winners of our annual prizes, as well as members of the BC and Yukon literary communities. On this episode, you'll hear my conversation with Anne Marie Metten the executive director of the historic joy kagawa house if you haven't visited the joy kagawa house you're likely familiar with her work joy is the author of 15 books including obasan gently to nagasaki and naomi's tree the historic joy kagawa house is her childhood home located in vancouver's marpole neighborhood it was built between 1912 and 1913 for the original owner, Robert Mackey, a foreman in the Public Works Department in the city of Vancouver. The Nakayama family, Gordon, Lois, and their two children, Timothy and Joy, moved into the house in 1937. In the 1930s, Marpole was an area with a vibrant and growing Japanese population. Joy lived with her family in the house until the Government of Canada enacted the War Measures Act, which forced 22,000 Canadians of Japanese descent from their homes. The Nakayama family's home was sold on September 12, 1944. The family was never able to return to their house in Marple. As you'll hear in my conversation with Anne-Marie, the Joy Kagawa House stands as a historical reminder of the internment experience of Japanese Canadians during the Second World War, and by extension to the experiences of diverse cultural and ethnic groups within Canadian society. The house has also become a literary landmark that offers author residencies, literary events, educational tours for school groups and the general public, and much more. But I probably shouldn't go into too much more. I'll let Anne-Marie tell you more about the Joy Kagawa House. Here's our conversation.
1: I'm Anne-Marie Matten, and I'm the Executive Director at Historic Joy Kagawa House in Vancouver. Historic Joy Kagawa House is a a place to write and share stories um, that reveal history with its legacies of prejudice, resilience, and courage. Our mission is to engage literary and local communities through education and an author residency that reflects and builds on Joy Kigawa's experience as a writer and as a formerly interned Canadian of Japanese heritage.
0: Did you have a connection to Joy Kagawa before you joined the organization? I know so many of us have read Obasan as, as students, but did you have your own kind of personal connection to her her works before you were involved?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm a fan, yes. <laughs> um, you know, um, I lived as a child in the, a town not far from... Joikigawa um, in southern Alberta um, in the early 1960s. I lived in Vauxhall. Joikigawa was in Coldale, of course. I didn't know her then, but I did know many Japanese Canadians who, whose families worked the sugar beet farms there. And I visited the, those tar paper shack that they lived in on the farms. And, you know, so when Obasan was published in 1981, it was an important story for me and the fam- my family to read and we were really drawn to that work. And any opportunity to uh, hear Joy Kugawa read or be part of any event, um, like I can remember being on closed circuit TV at an overflow event in the 1980s when Joy read at UBC and uh, not being anywhere close to her physically. Um, Then when we moved to the neighborhood here in Marpole uh, in 1986, a couple of years later, a neighbor told me that the house at 1450 West 64th Avenue was the house that Joy wrote about in Obasan. And then it was for sale. So, yeah, it was definitely an opportunity to meet Joy then and to work with her and to establish a, a place, a, a literary landmark and a, almost a, like a place of pilgrimage for people who love Joy Kigawa's writing, but also those who understand that, that we need to pay penance and <laughs> make... Right, the harm that came to Japanese Canadians through the loss of their properties and businesses and, and lives, the disruption to their lives with the internment.
0: Yeah. And I guess you, you've kind of touched on it just in what you were saying, but why do you think this place has become so important to so many people and has become the center of a community in Vancouver?
1: Mm. Well, I'd like to think it's because of the the feeling that we do, as Canadians, want to make right something that was very wrong in our history. But I think it's also a desire to be together and to have a place for writers to come. And uh, there are... Very few of there are some of those places, of course, in in Vancouver. But this is dedicated uh, a dedicated place for for writers, for residencies, for workshops, for drop in writing groups, and um, I think I think the Vancouver Greater Vancouver community needs something like that. So we had it with the literary storefront in the. 1980s, and uh, there was an, an attempt to turn the Langara Golf Course Clubhouse into a literary center um, in the 1990s. Uh, and then when this opportunity came in the mid 2000s, it, it just seemed, yeah, let's. This is the place where writers could be in Vancouver.
0: Can you talk a little bit about about the programs a bit more and the residencies? Because I think that's probably something that the the house is so so known for is the the writers residencies.
1: Yeah, well, I mean that is our key thing. You know, when when we were organizing in the mid two thousands, we reached out to writing organizations across Canada, and and it seemed like the one one of the best uses would be a residency and that's been actually the right use for the the property the zoning is for, is residential and the house is lovely and very livable so you know ideally we get tons of people in there and there's events and we're crammed to the rafters but and we have done that but really it's it's a, a, a great place to live So we began hosting Writers in Residence in 2010 with John Michael Asfour from Montreal. And uh, at that time, we would host only for three months at a time and then rent the house uh, to a residential caretaker for the remainder of the year. And then um, a change in ownership in 2014 allowed a little more latitude and a little greater freedom to just have writers in there all the time. So the, and at about the same time, the Canada Council author residency program expanded. And so where previously we were able to pay writers to live at the house through this Canada Council funding, we, we just said, let's, you know, we got enough money through a family foundation, the Frank H. Horry Family Foundation, to operate sufficiently, comfortably, to just keep the house heated and the lights on and clean. So uh, we began to host four writers a year, each for three months. And then it seemed, well, there were so many writers who wanted to be there. What about six writers for two months each? And and then, well, um, maybe a writer was working full-time and could only come for one month or maybe for two weeks. So we, we've we been quite flexible. We've hosted more than 40 writers now. Generally, you know, writers are, are in the house for two months because that's an effective length of time to work on a, a project and to, immer- you know, get really immersed in the manuscript that, uh, Uh, And that's where we're going for 2021 is uh, two months at a time. The Writers live there, live at the house at no charge. It's a juried uh, application process um, with a sample, 25-page sample of work, three letters of reference, reviews, and um, a a community engagement project, which might be a series of readings or workshops. Um, that are an exchange of time so that the writer is working on their own um, material, but then in in exchange for use of the house is doing um, some kind of uh, revenue generating public outreach for us.
0: And of course, until uh, recently, you were able to host people in the house um, and we're doing things online now. But what's what's the it been like for the Joy Kagawa house through the, the pandemic.
1: Mm. Well, you know, <laughs> it, I couldn't believe it when Sally Ito from Winnipeg called me last March and said, You know, I don't think I can come. I don't think I can, I don't I think it's a good idea to, to travel right now. Um, so we went uh, into a virtual residency for Sally. She, she just still did some workshops for us, like cherry blossom tour. Um, um we collaborated with the Nikkei National Museum on a family research workshop and we got a local writer into the house you know so it's actually doubled our capacity to not only okay now it's not being a joy ride of course but we have been able to present our workshops across Canada, um, we were able to bring in our Japanese American writer David Mira for for virtual programming, and and we're able to I think better serve the local writers, and 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 there seemed to have been that gap before, where we're always accommodating out of town writers, and um, when really. The strength is local. I would say that um, we might be a little, by, by serving a, a wider audience um, now. You know, even our weekly Wednesday writing group moving online, only six people could fit in that living room or, in the, <laughs> or at the table. And, you know, last night at uh, our writing group, we had um, eight people, one from Tofino, uh, another from LA and it's not going to be quite the same. I think, I think it's expanded accessibility.
0: Yeah. Well, not definitely. I noticed that in Jose's workshop too. Like there is folks from all, from all over, like, you know, folks from Mexico and Montreal and me up here in Powell river. And it's, that's kind of the exciting thing is you're able to welcome so many more people into a virtual space than, than you would, if we all had to travel to Vancouver.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing that um, we were able to do is is uh, host some outdoor events this uh, summer uh, with some Vancouver Foundation Resiliency Fund money. It seemed that musicians were out of work and not a lot of gigs. So we, we did three outdoor musical events with poets. The last one was with novelists. And that was just to look back on that now is, you know, to think of us <laughs> a live music event was pretty fabulous.
0: Another thing that happened this year, or I guess it was last year, another thing that happened in 2020 was uh, Joy was announced as, the, as a winner of the Lieutenant Governor's Award for Literary Excellence with Julie Flett. Uh, what was your response to that announcement?
1: So pleased to see uh, uh, Joy's work recognize her lifetime of writing. Um, and activism, to see the jur- jury's understanding in a co-award uh, to Julie Flett, a Métis illustrator who, um, for me, has brought the residential school experience to life in the, the children's picture book When We Were Alone. And it seemed to me that the jury was making some kind of connection, an obvious connection really uh between joys writing about the displacement of japanese canadians during the war and the displacement of indigenous communities from from their lands that the jury might have been recognizing who, who creators who have brought difficult subjects who Uh, wider reading readership and understood the value of of that contribution. I was very pleased to see Joy win.
0: Yeah, it was, it was really special to talk to her about that winning too, because I think it meant so much to her at this point in her life to win that award.
1: Mm. Especially in a year, Joy turned 85 last June, on the 6th of June. And she'd been very ill the previous winter. It was just the right thing at the right time. Thank you. I <laughs> <laughs> thought we were going to lose her last year, actually.
0: Is she still quite involved with the the Kagawa house? Uh, as much as she can be?
1: <laughs> well, it, you know, we're a long way away from geographically. Uh, we talk every week. Joy is an advisor, but she's not in directly involved with the operations. She does fund. She does support us financially. And we always consult, sometimes around the writers who live and work at the house, other times around the restoration of the heritage mm-hmm. property. Like, what? It, what is the story that we tell? What are the artifacts that we display? she's a great connector it's wonderful to to work with joy and to know the people that joy knows and brings to the project i, I i'd say that this is joy's dream to return to that house it's why she wrote obasan is what she imagined in in obasan was making a real the place that was only in memory and um, it a gift to the writers in Canada that we fought to get that house back and to and to give it uh, as a public place.
0: Last year, Joy and I had a chance to talk on Zoom after she won the Lieutenant Governor's Award for Literary Excellence with Julie Flett. I wanted to include a bit of her acceptance speech where she reads from Obasan and talks about the lessons she's learned about truth, trust, and freedom. Here's Joy.
2: There is a silence that cannot speak. There is a silence that will not speak. Beneath the grass, the speaking dreams, and beneath the dreams is a sensate sea. The speech, that frees comes forth from that amniotic deep. To attend its voice, I can hear it say, is to embrace its absence. But I fail the task. The word is stone. I admit it. I hate the stillness. I hate the stone. I hate the sealed vault with its cold icon. I hate the staring into the night the questions thinning into space, the sky swallowing the echoes. Unless the stone bursts with telling, unless the seed flowers with speech, there is in my life no living word. The sound I hear is only sound, white sound. Words, when they fall, are pockmarks on earth. They are hailstones seeking, An underground stream. If I could follow the stream down and down to the hidden voice, would I come at last to the freeing word? I ask the night sky, but the silence is steadfast, there is no reply. Well that that was the prologue to Obasan. And it's only as I've come to this end of my life ending of my life it's not quite over is um is is to know that i have found the freeing voice i have found the freeing word i have found that which frees and that word is always trust always you have trust and if you trust all the time you're free so the constancy of trusting and it's a practice of trusting and truth and love together. And you hold those things and you trust those things. And life just replies. There is a reply when you are always there. Not that any one of us is always there. But when you, I mean, I remember when I came to that word and it was freedom. It was um, the answer, the answer for me. And uh, so, I guess that's the full circle. Um, to, trust, to 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 trust, all the time, if you can do that. And, um, and that leads to a most wonderful life, the best years of my life. Some of these have been the worst, but they're also the best.
0: Thanks so much to Emery for being on the podcast, and to Joy Kagawa for recording that acceptance speech with me last year. And thanks, as always, to you our listeners for listening and subscribing to Writing the Coast. If you want to hear more about the BC and Yukon Book Prizes, don't forget to visit our website, bcukonbookprizes.com. And if you want to stay in the loop about all things BC and Yukon book prizes, don't forget to follow us on social media. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Next time on Writing the Coast, you'll hear my conversation with Jonathan Manthorpe, author of Claws of the Panda, Beijing's Campaign of Influence and Intimidation in Canada, which was a finalist for the 2020 Hubert Evans Nonfiction Prize. Thanks for listening to Writing the Coast.